us and trying to make a better world for all of us. So welcome to our program. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. And I guess uh, one way to start out would be, before we talk about the Human Rights Commission, give me a little bit of your background and how you got to that position and how you got to Petaluma and what, how that fits into your life. Sure, I'll, I'll try and make it the Reader's Digest version. First, let me start by saying congratulations on the, on the program. Thank um, you, thank you. I've been always very impressed with the work that you do in the community, um, being a, a resident of Petaluma. Just the work that you do Thank in you. building community, building dialogue, making it a better place. It's it's a privilege for me to be here. We keep trying. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, in terms of my background, I'm a Western Pennsylvania boy. Um, ended up working in financial services in New York for the best part of my career before moving out to the West Coast in 2009, working mm -hmm. for a nonprofit in San Francisco, um, out on Equal Workplace Advocates. Um, did that mid of 2013 bought a local franchise and um, did that so that I could become more involved locally in Petaluma um, and Sonoma County because it felt like home and I wanted to make it that way mm -hmm. um, I had been a longtime activist um, on LGBTQI issues and began looking around to see what was available to me in the county and um, wondered if there was a Commission on Human Rights, found that there was, that there was an opening, um, attended a few meetings to see what they were talking about, mm -hmm. thought it was something that was of interest to me and I could add value to, and contacted Supervisor Rabbit to see if I could get appointed, and voila. And you got there. And there you I am. Yeah. That's been almost four years. So actually there are a number of commissions that are advisory to the Sonoma County Board of Supervisors, correct? Yeah, there's quite a range. Um, probably the, the two that I'm most familiar with and I interact with are obviously the Commission on Human Rights. There's a Commission on the Status of Women um, that is also very active on women's issues. And we see a lot depending on specific issues that we're working with. Mm -hmm. um, community Development Commission, um, there are a number of ways to be involved. Certainly. Great, great. And so now, what about the Human Rights Commission? What what kind of work is it doing, and how does it spend its time? And is it all volunteer? Is it a paid visit? What, what? Yeah, it's all volunteered. The commission consists of up to fifteen people, three appointed by each of the five supervisors, and the the work of the commission, broadly speaking, is to help focus the attention on issues pertaining to human rights in the county. Um, in some ways we do education um, about the, the value of diversity. Um, we listen to issues that people bring to us about um, things that are going on in the county that don't seem fair or seem to abridge human rights. Um, and, and human rights in kind of the broader sense when you think of like the United States or United Nations um, human rights principles, um, we look at those to sort of determine whether it's um, or lack of shelter. Um, but we try to focus on the, especially the communities that are most marginalized, making sure that they have a voice in the county. And um, the specific issues we talk about are often driven by the passions of the members of the commission. Mm -hmm. So for example, I came to the commission with a, a bent toward looking at LGBTQI 
rights lesbian gay bisexual transgender um, others come with uh, uh, experience and interest in homelessness others with um, special needs and peoples with disabilities other with racial justice um, uh, immigrants rights um, are all issues that we tackle and we've been very involved with certainly in the last um, several years as those have both been issues that have been raised to the Commission by members of the community and the, the specific passions of the members who are appointed to the Commission by the Board of Supervisors. How long has the Human Rights Commission been in existence? When was it set up? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's... I think in its current iteration, it's been going for um, a little over ten years, uh-huh. but it, but it had it has existed in in different forms um, prior uh-huh. to that. Because I know the Commission on the Status of Women was founded, I think, in 1976, which was an amazing uh, revelation to me that it's been that had been around that long in yeah. our county. Yeah, the Commission on Human Rights. I, I think the most recent ordinance um, sort of. Uh, putting out the parameters of how the commission would operate um, from the Board of Supervisors was in 2007 or 2008. Okay. But okay. I know that there, it existed in some form before that. Okay. And when you uh, find an issue or determine that um, the county needs some attention on something, how does that interface with the Board of Supervisors? Does it, uh, does it affect legislation at the Board of Supervisors or merely resolutions that we should do better in this area? How does that... Yeah, it, it, I mean, it has the potential to be any of those things. We uh, don't have, um, under the, the ordinance that established the commission, we're, we're different than from, say, the Commission of Human Rights in San Francisco in the the authority to enforce violations. Mm. Um, so what we do is essentially influence. And we do that um, by making recommendations. If, if it is for in support of or for the creation of specific legislation, then um, we'll move that forward. And it could be with the Board of Supervisors, or we do that with anyone in the county, essentially. Mm-hmm. So when there was... Um, a resolution looking to declare a state of emergency um, for homelessness by the city of Santa Rosa. Um, we went in and supported that and spoke to that. Uh, but typically we would work by making recommendations to the Board of Supervisors. Um, we make it, uh, recommendations to individual school districts, to the Sonoma County Office of Education, where we think that makes sense. We've been doing a lot of work on racial justice and the um, make recommendations around the um, complying with Title VI, which is a a federal legislation which requires um, and provides um, through the Department of Education it's um, an avenue for redress if there are are, um, alleged violations of someone's rights based on um, racial discrimination. And so we've been working hard to try and educate around that. Um, So it's the extent to which we can influence um, is is the limit of our power. Okay. Any interface with the city governments, or is it usually limited to the or it's it's wherever we want to be within wherever Sonoma we're County. Be in Sonoma yeah. County. I mean, we can make you know recommendations around um, actions at the state and federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly within our charter to do that, but our focus has been local. And um, if it's an issue that is specific to um, cities, then you know we'll send out recommendations to the various municipalities. If it's something that's a countywide um, question, then um, we'll take it to whoever has the authority to make a decision um, and ask them to to take action where that's appropriate. Can, can you pick, uh, without putting you too much on the spot, can you pick uh, some particular 
has followed through in some policy change or some anything that comes to mind? I would say that probably the thing that's been most recent. Um, two two recent examples. One I just gave was around the. Um, issues of uh, racial discrimination in the schools, um, mm-hmm. where we put together a sit of reco- series of recommendations of how schools might think about being um, better in compliance, particularly around making sure that parents have access to what um, actions are available to them mm-hmm. or what recourse is available to them if they feel that there's been an issue. Um, and that's been uh, something where we've communicated to all the district superintendents, um, Another recent one was uh, we did some visits to the homeless camp uh, in Roseland um, and um, made a series of recommendations to um, supervisors and to the the county about what we were seeing there, what the concerns were about safety for the to put them in touch with resources who could help, um, who had experience in how best to deal with that situation, and um, you know they're they're looking to dismantle right. the camp. Um, they've delayed that for a little bit, but making sure that it's done in a way that um, is uh, attentive to the needs of the people that are living there, um, and hopefully not recreating a situation that is going to be unsafe. Um, and so we've, uh, you know, it's. A policy, not necessarily, although um, as we raised that to, to the attention of, of the county, um, they made a decision to bring in a navigation center there for at least 30 days and some services to help um, with the, the relocation and um, had some meetings with local law enforcement, um, sharing with them uh, some information that we got in our conversations with, with residents about some of the concerns, the safety concerns, and making sure that the local law enforcement was aware that there were issues about gangs and mm-hmm. um, that was going unaddressed because people didn't feel safe to report it directly. Wow. So in the aftermath of the fires, I know there's been a lot of press about people struggling, the financial struggles, the insurance struggles, and any issues have come before the commission, and perhaps not, but just thought I'd put that out there to see if there's anything current with that. Yeah, the, the, um, nothing recently. I mean, obviously there were, there were concerns, uh, you know, with PCRC as well, I know, of the, you know, price gouging, and were, were there things that were taking place that, um, were against policy with respect to, you know, um, making discrimination in housing in favor of above market rates or, or those types of things that were just not, you know, fair to the people who were, were trying to get housing. Um, so we had some people come in and talk to us about that. Um, during the during the immediate time following the relief, um, which were just amazing, um, there was a you know, there was a general concern that there were people in the county who were suffering because their jobs went away um, or because they um, some of the services were being um, redirected uh, to to meet the need of the bigger need of the of the post fire um, victims um, that uh, we wanted to make sure that there was a focus that the the people who were marginalized prior to and had needs prior to the fire mm-hmm. um, didn't start falling through the through the cracks and that um, uh, the 
Vice Chair Demetrius Smith, for example, um, personally took responsibility working with people in the Springs area to, separate from all other efforts, bring in um, people she knew who could provide health services um, and food uh, specifically for the the people in, in the Springs area who were concerned because there were concerns that, that they wouldn't be able to get services or they would have risk getting services to someone who was undocumented mm-hmm. yeah or that there were concerns about whether there was enough information that was spanish language driven going out there um yeah life is complex isn't it there's so many issues and intricacies in this i know that uh, commissioner smith is also working with that junior commission junior human rights commission can you tell us a little bit about that yeah that's just a fascinating program and the, I think the, our community should know about it. Yeah, I mean, the Junior Commission on Human Rights, um, which Demetra leads um, as coordinator of the program, has been just a, a jewel of the commission over the last um, four or five years that it's been in operation. And it's basically a program where um, young people in high school um, apply from all over the county to be a part of a junior commission. And just like we do in, in the adult commission, they have, or the I guess the older adult commission, as opposed to the younger adult commission, they, um, they make choices around things that they're passionate about and figure out projects. And they've been, some of the things they've done have been just amazing interviews of, um, you know, people without shelter and sort of putting faces. Um, they did a photograph exhibit of, of homeless people a couple years back. Um, they've been for several years raising money for the food bank um, and looking at issues of food security. Um, one young woman, um, basically on her own with with her own resources, put together uh, a incredible film on human trafficking um, and the reality of human trafficking in Sonoma County as a way to educate you know her peers about the the fact that the issue existed and of course most recently the they organized the the March for life rally um, for uh, against gun violence in um, in the square in Santa Rosa on March 24th, which was just um, a tremendous showcase for sort of their passion. Um, it was, uh, they've just been doing some really great work. It's a great world. And is it done a lot through the high schools, or um, how pri- is that? How is that happening for them? Yeah, well, primarily the the um, sort of we spread the word out through the high schools, and once they are um, accepted as a member of the commission, then they meet monthly um, in Santa Rosa um, with uh, uh, several members of the adult commission as as mentors to help them, you know learn about sort of what the issues are to choose a project to work on um, as a small ad hoc committee or as in some cases as an individual um, and then to help them you know sort of realize their goals of that project so if um, if there are youth out in the community whose parents happen to be listening now hopefully the youth are in school uh, <laughs> yeah. but if their parents happen to be listening can they is there a way for them to connect to that um, the application um, period just ended okay and so we're in the process of scheduling interviews over the next couple weeks mm-hmm. um, to make final determination so it's nothing that they the application process is too late for this coming school year uh-huh. um, but if they have any questions they you know certainly any of us would be happy to talk to okay, them okay great they can, next, you know, go to our next Facebook spring, page and, and then next spring they would the application 
period would be open again, I would assume. Yeah, next, yeah, early next March, they should be looking, you know, checking the, you know, our Facebook page. And the Ju- Junior Commission has its own Facebook page, which I, which I would, you know, highly recommend. One of their projects was um, uh, Facebook's page called Humans of Sonoma County, which I also, you know, encourage people to take a look at, where it's profiling people from different backgrounds within Sonoma County, um, especially from some of the marginalized communities. And um, they've done some great work with that. I saw the uh, video that the Human Rights Commission produced that highlights the diversity of our community, Mm -hmm. and I think it's wonderful. I think it's a great uh, sign, Uh, and we should be proud in Sonoma County of our diversity. That doesn't mean that everything is always peaceful and wonderful, etc., We can't always know what's behind or under the surface in people's thinking about the other in the world. But all we can do is work together to try to do our best to make it a good place to live for for all of us. And I know, switching topics a little bit, I know that the LGBTQI community is of great importance to you and a great passion of yours. Mm -hmm. And wondered if you could talk a little bit about what that experience has been like in Sonoma County as part of this diversity and what your take is on life for that community. Sure. Um, yeah, and I'm speaking kind of for my, myself, yes. my own experience, the, the, um, I was... I had been involved in workplace equality um, and workplace diversity, um, specifically around the LGBT community, um, professionally, um, before coming to to Petaluma. And I was really excited to move here because I knew, at least statistically, the the Sonoma point was had the second highest density of same gender um, couples than any county in the country. and so I, you know, my expectation was that it would be a very welcoming place um, and very advanced. Um, the thing that surprised me when I first came here really was that um, it was it was it was everywhere but kind of invisible, not not really concentrated. There wasn't a, an LGBTQI center, for example, um, where people could gather. And um, for most most um, people that I met um, who were you know gay, lesbian, um, maybe to a lesser extent transgender. Um, and and by the they felt fairly well integrated um socially connecting um but the concern was that there were people who were isolated um who may not have been comfortable being out for lots of reasons based on you know the culture that they lived in and grew up in um that couldn't find a place to go um there were some some programs that are doing some great work focused on youth and more recently um, on some of the elders. Um, you know, a program like Fountain Grove Lodge uh, happening in Sonoma County, um, which is a retirement facility focused on LGBT people, um, you know, was a great program. Um, but there still are, are needs out there and, and people um, experiencing things that uh, that are less than welcoming. And as a result, so one of the things the Community Foundation of Sonoma County started a giving circle that we now have over 100 members who pool their money on an annual basis to give grants to programs focused on LGBTQI youth, seniors, um, and community building, including um, community building within the, the trans community in Sonoma County to help get rid of some of that isolation for seniors who don't have access or don't have a place to go. Um, So it was was kind of surprising that the services weren't as 
focused or there weren't centers of activity, um, although there are certainly some social and some areas of expertise within the county, like you know Santa Rosa Community Health um, programs. But uh, you know, just a difficult place for it to go. Um, when we were talking about our discussion for today, I had brought up that uh, issue of that tension between uh, wanting to normalize the diversity of our community and everybody should just be in the same pool of activity and etc. As well, and then the opposite side of wanting those special activities mm. that where people who think in a particular way or for whom certain parts of life are different or whatever can gather together. And I think I mentioned I had gone to a training and they wanted us to put a sign up in our synagogue that said LBGT, LBGTQ friendly right. and everybody welcome. And some people said, well, we don't want a sign like that because that when we walk in the door, right. we just want to be part of the community. Sure. So how do you, what's your take on that? Uh, yeah, I, and, and I appreciate that question. And it's it's a it's a tricky balance um, because you don't want to sort of be oh that's that's the gay temple because right. you don't want to be labeled that way as an organization or as a community because you're so much more than that and welcome to everybody. On the other hand, the at least in my experience, and I can talk from you know my experience with the LGBTQ community, but it you know my sense is that um, any community that has been in a place of fear or oppression um, figures out ways to survive. And for us, especially where we have the ability to be out or not be out, in many cases, the you look you look for a sign of welcome. Um, you look, you know, and you can do that in, you know, by by seeing a rainbow flag flying, certainly, or you can do it just by the the language you see when you go and look at a, you know, a program's website, for example. And if the code's not there that says I'm safe here or I'm included, um, then you know. I may be, but I may not respond thinking that I am, um, and just avoid it because I don't see those clues. Um, and so I, I think it's important to be really intentional and visible in being an ally for anything, um, whether it's you know whether you're an ally based on race or on gender, on sexual orientation or or a gender identity, that you have to do it in a way that's visible. Otherwise, people won't get that you're an ally and they won't feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, and that's you know that's kind of the balance. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one at times. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I mean, could you help with some of those code words? Um, yeah. Uh, so, if, for example, if I go to mm -hmm. and I see pictures of your community in action, and I don't see any. I see couples that look, um, you know, different gender couples, straight couples. Um, I don't see okay. anyone, I don't see anything that says, oh, that, you know, there's two guys working together, they could be a couple. Or if reference is only to husband and wife, mm -hmm. um, but not spouses or partners. partners right. um, it, you know, if I'm seeing everything that's very heteronormative, uh, you know, meaning there's a huge bias or assumption that everyone out there is straight, um, then then I'm not seeing myself included. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, the um, standing in a grocery line, 
you know, not that long ago, so I'm buying groceries and, you know, I wear a wet wedding ring and the woman in front of me says, oh, your wife is so lucky because um, you do the shopping. You know, it's like, okay. Um, you know, and I'm sure that if I said, uh, yeah, actually, it's and I sort of choose those kind of being out opportunities as it makes sense and I have the energy for the, um, you know, she probably would have been fine with that. But maybe not. So I don't have an assumption that she's going to be um, welcoming in that respect. And it's, you know, and it's the, you know, my expectation is, you know, I'm in, in other ways other than my sexual orientation. I walk around with a lot of privilege as a white male. Um, but my guess is that there's, you know, other people who look for the same signs as, you know, oh, Am I being inclusive in my language? Am I being, you know, specifically and intentional in including people who, you know, um, maybe from other backgrounds? You know, if not, then, um, you know, I may be not doing anything consciously, but um, it's the code that says I'm good here um, isn't being transmitted. Yeah, uh, it requires a lot of human get people it, it to does. think. I mean, it, it's the work of the Human Rights Commission to provide a framework for helping us learn to think differently about the world in which we live and some of these things that you're saying. I remember many years ago, I had a single member of my congregation who walked out, left the high holiday services, because when she walked in, um, uh, the usher said to her, are you waiting for, we'll wait for your husband before we sit you down. Sure. And she was single. Mm-hmm. And the assumption that was being made, of course, and the, all these assumptions that we make based on our cultural experience and how we grew up and where we come from and how we think about the world. Yeah. So we're looking for a shift that is open and compassionate and understanding that the world is broader than we are as individuals. And yeah. that's our job. Yeah. That's our job. Just to, yeah, to be able to recognize that it's out there, to be open to that there are other differences. Uh-huh. And the other differences deserve respect and are okay. And any attempt to understand them, you know, allows me to be better at what I do. And, and you know, there's a lot I don't understand yet and a lot of work that I personally have to do. And, and I think most of us do. But it's a willingness to say, okay, I, I get that and, you know, help me. Right. Um, that is important. Well, I think we're drawing to a close of this segment of our program. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, we're going to be taking a little break. Uh, you're listening to KPCA LP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM, online at KPCA FM. We will return in a few moments.
Welcome back to Talking with Rabbi Ted. You're listening to KPCALP, Petaluma, California, 103.3 FM, online at kpca.fm. We're back for the second segment of our first program here today. And my guests are Abraham Solar, who is the director of Hispanic Vincent's Catholic Church, and Sam Tuttleman, part of the Coordinating Committee of the Rapid Response Network, and on a lot of different organizations uh, around town. And I invited them here today because among the myriad of issues, as you may have heard during the uh, last segment of the program, among the myriad of issues in our world is what's happening to the immigrants into our country, how we are responding, the tensions created in our nation. So we wanted to focus for a while here today on our local community and what's happening, uh, trying to get a sense of what might be good for our community as we move forward. So Abraham, I'm going to start with you. And uh, first of all, how long have you been doing what you're doing at the church? And uh, what has this been like, for just your personal experience, mm -hmm. before we start talking about your community? Good morning. Good morning, uh, Rabbi Ted, and good morning. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to uh, your program. And uh, yes, I've been uh, working for St. Vincent de Paul Church uh, for 21 years. This is going to be my 22nd year. And uh, it's been uh, uh, always... Uh, um, uh, working on the side of the uh, Latino community and um, the church uh, becomes a, a center of uh, resources and uh, uh, for the needs of the uh, uh, English-speaking community and uh, whatever they need they come to the church because they trust uh, the church and the religious institutions and it's, it's always uh, that has been always a, a, a great part of my my uh, my job uh, to uh, trying to find resources in the community to uh, to respond to the needs of the uh, families in in Petaluma. It's it's it has been great because Petaluma is very supportive. Yeah. Immigrant community and um, they welcome uh, the families uh, uh, who will come here to work. So it's it's, it's they have been. Um, uh, sometimes difficult times but uh, we have always uh, come ahead thanks to the support of the uh, uh, general uh, uh, beautiful community of Peraluma. Great, great. Well, let me get a little intro to Sam before we come back to that sure. question. And Sam, how did you get into this social justice part of life for you? Why has that been an important thing for you? And how long have you been in Petaluma? Those kinds sure. of questions. I've been in Petaluma. Good morning, Ted, by the way. Yeah. Um, I've been in Petaluma since 1981, raised a child here, and um, both my wife and I are retired, and we continue to live here because it's a nice place to live. It is. Um, I, I think, well, I, I've been an activist since I was 13 years old. Civil rights movement in Baltimore, Maryland, um, was very active in the anti-Vietnam War movement, been involved in the labor movement, um, and along the way I worked, and um, since I retired about five and a half years ago, it seems like this has become my life, unfortunately in a way, because it's sort of sad to be fighting the same battles I was fighting when I was a teenager, but 
we need to do it. Yes, I think that uh, all of us could say that when you look back at history, uh, then we have to ask ourselves the questions, well, why do we think life is going to be different just because X happened 20 years ago or 30 years mm-hmm. ago? We're still dealing with human beings and the foibles of human <laughs> beings and the mm-hmm. tensions that are created in human life. So, uh, the the battle is to keep doing it. That's That's the important part. So, Abraham, your mm-hmm. community, and we have to, first of all, I think, recognize that uh, even though you are working with Hispanic, uh, uh, the Hispanic mm-hmm. that not all immigrants, etc., in our country and in our community are of uh, origin from Spanish-speaking countries. Right. But your, your focus is that, and um, can you give us a little sense of what they're experiencing now and what their lives are like? and concerns etc mm-hmm. yes it, it's uh, um, the uh, Latino community here in Peneluma uh, 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 it's is growing because of the families who have been here a uh, uh, long time they already have uh, kids and those kids have grown and, and they go to school but still uh, many adults uh, who came here without the uh, the uh, Proper, proper documentation and uh, they they like it here and they found work here and uh, they uh, enjoying life here and uh, and but they because of the law uh, they find themselves uh, in the difficult uh, situations of, of, of getting the the, the right uh, the civil rights of that uh, people uh, who were born here or, or came here with the proper documents and uh, those families who have been here 30 40 years 20 years uh, find themselves with the, with the living in, in fear because of the uh, pressures of, of the uh, present uh, uh, environment in uh, in government and uh, even though they have been living here longer than many many people uh, they they fear to uh, being deported and uh, being sent back to their their uh, uh, place of origin and they don't have any any uh, family there anymore because they have their children or, or grandchildren living here uh, they they working hard they paying taxes uh, for sure but uh, they're living in fear of, of uh, getting uh, uh, arrested and, and finding themselves in that process of, of deportation and being uh, kicked out of the country. And uh, that uh, increases the amount of fear because of their children are already uh, living here and they're, uh, they were born here, they're legal here. And, and that's the fear they, they, they feel right now. Uh, they feel very tense uh, uh, some of them are afraid even to um, come close to the uh, to the uh, uh, police again you know like like before in the, in the previous year when they didn't have uh, the opportunity to get driver's license and uh, so again the same the same uh, fear we we found you know because they they don't want to uh, uh, be trapped in the uh, in the uh, immigration uh, process of being deported so that's what I have found out in with several families that 
live here. I remember one time we were at a program together and you were speaking uh, last year and started talking about the fact that the families were having to sign documents mm -hmm. to care for their children who mm -hmm. are American-born, American citizens, were they to be deported. And that just, uh, of course, that touches the heart in so many ways and the mind about what, what is all this craziness. So it's so certainly easy to understand that fear. Mm -hmm. One of uh, the responses in our community has been the formation of the Rapid Response Network, which, uh, Sam, you've been very involved in, mm -hmm. and uh, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that in terms of trying to help the people. What sure. are, what's the Rapid Response Network doing? Sure. Well, in response to the current administration's immigration policies, um, a number of organizations in Oklahoma uh, County and Napa County has recently joined us, and possibly Solano County will join us as well, came together to really think about how could we support immigrants who were under attack um, you know, by the administ administration. And under the auspices of the North Bay Organizing Project, the North Bay Rapid Response Network was formed, and it's got representative organizations in almost all parts of Sonoma County as well as Napa. And here in Petaluma, we have Petaluma Rapid Response. And we do four things, if you want me to go into those sure, now. Please. Okay. Um, first thing we do, and we've worked very cooperatively with Abraham as well as other, other folks in the community, to do what are called Know Your Rights trainings. And the goal of that is so that people who are facing immigration issues know that they have legal rights. Many people don't know, and I didn't even know, that even if you are not properly documented, um, you still have Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights, the right to remain silent and um, not accept unreasonable search and seizure. So we, we train people what their rights are, the fact that they are entitled to legal counsel. Um, then the next thing we, we do is we have what are called legal observers, and we do trainings for legal observers so people like any of us can be trained to when, when Immigration and Customs Enforcement um, does a raid. Um, we can be mobilized and we will show up and we will document the raid that's taking place. And the reason that's really important is up to 90% of the time, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, does not have the legally required documents to actually conduct the raid. So instead of getting a, a warrant from a, ju a federal judge, federal magistrate, um, they use administrative warrants, which are not legal. But through intimidation and fear, they'll show up at someone's house and intimidate their way into the house and then not only take the person they're looking for, but anybody else who's there, immigration status they question. Again, this is all a violation of people's constitutional rights. We also work with a network of attorneys who will support people once they are um, in the, the hands of immigration services. And um, finally, we do what's called accompaniment. So we have teams of people who will work with immigrants who um, need someone to come with them to go to customs enforcement appointments, um, court dates, or who are afraid to go out of their houses and just need help, you know, getting groceries. So those, those are the four major activities of the network.
Wow. That whole issue of legal rights of the immigrants. Mm-hmm. I, from my perspective, we, we need public education about that because sure. everybody, you know, the people say, oh, they're here illegally and they're illegal and they have no rights and they shouldn't have rights and they shouldn't get this, they shouldn't get that. So somewhere we need, as part of all this, to get the profound message out that there is some our legal system that defends their right to be here or at least to be treated in a particular way in a particular way well we have our i can't show them to the audience obviously but we have our handy handy little pocket size yellow cards in in about six or seven different languages that not only give the hotline number where people can call if um they are being subject to an ice raid but they also list people's rights on on the back of the card and we've i think we've passed out well over 10 15,000 of them in Sonoma yeah. County that's important it's really important of course to do that uh, any response I, we saw in the paper the other day yesterday the uh, mm-hmm. sheriff's statement uh, about uh, perhaps impending ice raids and the attention being focused on our county any thoughts from you on that well I, I you know I'm thankful that we've trained over 500 legal observers in the county and over 70 in Petaluma because um, up till now we've been lucky there have not been concerted Luma, but I think we need to heed the sheriff's words and be prepared because I think vindictiveness is uh, probably a, a reasonable way of characterizing the current administration and the sheriff I have to give him credit you know during during the the um, fires really stood up um, ties and made a great attempt to communicate with the Spanish-speaking community mm-hmm. and I think that's put us in the crosshairs. So there were so, some statistics the other day uh, that I had seen from you about mm-hmm. the how many people been trained and do you want to fill can you fill sure, in any more sure. of those that you just started? Sure, like I said there have been um, 700 people to, trained to be legal observers in the county um, about 70, excuse me 500, okay. getting my numbers all confused mm-hmm. um, over 70 here in Petaluma. We're doing another training by the way at the JC Santa Rosa Junior College Petaluma campus tomorrow at 1.30 if anyone's interested. And um, there have been hundreds of calls. I think only one incident during the, the number of months we've been involved in. And again, that speaks to the fact that for whatever reason, ICE has largely ignored Sonoma County, although there have been some significant raids in, in Napa County. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Abraham. <laughs> You thinking about something? I see yeah, you're thinking no, about something. I think I, I think I you, caught you thinking. Yeah, That's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the uh, the support of the community has been great through uh, the different organizations that have been created after uh, uh, the current administration started. Uh, the uh, rapid response uh, uh, creates a, a safer environment for the uh, families and and so that they don't become. Um, uh, uh, they don't feel that anxiety of that that something uh, uh, dramatic is going to happen, or they feel the support and uh, so they feel the the confidence that the the, the uh, general public or or the much families in Peruluma um, embrace them uh, as, as part of their community uh, because they are they they have been living here for many years they work they. 
uh, you wouldn't even believe it, but uh, they're your neighbors and they bring your kids, uh, their kids with the, with the family's kids to the school, to the different schools, and uh, so they're part of the community and and uh, it's it's good that they feel safe with this uh, with this the different organization providing some kind of. Uh, uh, shelter and, and for their well-being. Uh, yeah, earlier on, you had uh, intimated that the community is afraid of the police, mm -hmm. and I think uh, we've worked hard over the years for, with with relations with the police department. And I know Chief Savano has said no, numerous times that his job is to protect the community, not to enforce the uh, the federal laws, etc. Here and to be and to participate. Is there a gap that's been formed because of anything happening locally, or no, no? It's just because of the news, you know, the, because from the, the, news, from the president administration, and right. we continuously uh, provide that sense that the uh, that the police is, works for the community, and they 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 should feel protected by by our Peruma police, and that we have expressed many times yeah. to the different families that the chief is is uh, here to to uh, to protect the community no matter what uh, uh, culture, nationality, right. faith uh, you are, uh, you belong to, but uh, they're here to protect the community. So that's, that also brings the uh, sense of uh, fear down. Yeah, well, I remember the event we had at St. At Vincent's, mm -hmm. oh, eight years, I lost track of years, yeah, yeah. when we had city council, the police department, the mm -hmm. chief of police, the mayor, and a few hundred people from the mm -hmm. Latino community come in and sat in little folk. And the police say, said they were there to listen to what it's like. And at that point, we were dealing with checkpoints. Remember mm -hmm. that right. that whole thing with checkpoints? And it was just so, it was a beautiful scene, as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned, that the police were listening to what, what the people were feeling when they had opened their car window and right. what it was like to be there. And I would hope that that trust and the fact that they came into the room that night was mm -hmm. already a, a sign of a trust relationship, mm -hmm. but things have changed so dramatically, mm -hmm. not locally in terms no. of the attitude of our police department or our mm -hmm. government, but from the national scene, exactly. have changed so radically uh, since the 2016 elections mm -hmm. that it, I feel sad about that because mm -hmm. we had come so far in that trust level that was being developed with our government and with our police department and the Latino uh, community. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's uh, that is a tough one. Yes. Yeah. Is there something happening tonight? Um, is there a training? There'll be a, a know your rights uh, um, forum, and uh, that's uh, uh, going to be uh, at uh, Saint Vincent's Hall, and it's a brief uh, immigration consultation uh, with attorneys uh, for the uh, some Im okay. immigrant families, and this this been. Uh, uh, Organized by uh, uh, some immigration attorneys from the International Institute of the Bay Area, and also for uh, from um, McDowell School. Uh, uh, yeah. 
Petaluma Rapid Response and uh, Vida as an organization uh, Red Ready Bay Area so the okay. organizations have uh, what time organized. is that? Uh, it's going to be uh, tonight uh, Thursday April 12 at 6 p.m. at St. Vincent's Hall it's in the corner of Western Avenue and Howard Street okay great so people who are interested can yeah can be there that's and great also to get informed of what really the law is about so people with uh, questions about can go and ask questions so i'd like to spend a few minutes as we head toward the end of our program mm -hmm. um on the hard question i asked uh, when we had our preliminary discussion and it's the question of uh, well we know that there's a segment of our population probably even here in Sonoma County who feel that that these those who have come here illegally have violated the law and the implication of that is that there are consequences for violating the law and they should go back hmm. and so how do we how do we answer that? I, as I said to you then, I get all the compassion. I do. I, I, I fully do. How, how would you respond to that question? Can I put you on the... Sure. Sam, sure. I'll put you on the spot first. Well, just, you know, historically, we are a nation of immigrants. I mean, you know, all you have to do is look at our history. All four of my grandparents came from Eastern Europe. For, for exactly the same reasons that current-day immigrants came here. They came here for a better life. Uh -huh. When they lived in Eastern Europe, they were subjected to pogroms, you know, attacks by, by villagers, couldn't get jobs. I mean, the whole litany of reasons why people come today. So that's, that's the historical side of it. And, and historically, the anti-immigrant feeling in this country is nothing new. If you go back and read the newspapers from, you know, the the early, um, what century is it, 20th century now, yeah. you, you hear the exact same kind of language you hear today. I think the other side of it is, I, I mean, let, let's be real. Um, who is going to do the job? And, and I feel bad about saying this because I don't want to support the exploitation of people. But the reality is, is there are a whole raft of jobs that um, current U.S. citizens don't want to fill. So we, we actually need immigrants. You know, the birth rate of, of this country is dropping. Um, there is a labor shortage. And there has been, you know, it was, it was sort of glossed over um, by by the the economic crash but there's a labor shortage i mean who's going to build the houses that we need to recover from from the fires just as as one example who works in our restaurants you know who provides a lot of the services that people use yeah it's a um we've created in this country that a certain uh, I'll use the word self-centeredness or selfishness about how we live our lives. I remember I was speaking when the Russian immigrants were coming, the mm -hmm. Russian Jewish community was coming back in the 90s. I was speaking to a, a group uh, trying to raise money to help the Russians as they were coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a woman afterwards came up to me and said to me the following, We have too many immigrants in this country. <laughs> And I was, <laughs> I've been telling that story for years because 
It's so unbelievable to me. Yeah. That, but that is our nation. It's a nation of immigrants. People get here. And then when we get here and we get comfortable, let's keep them away. And it just it doesn't work that way. Our life doesn't work that way. Right. Do you have any response to that question about the legality and illegality of being yeah. here and and all of that? Well, there, there are many many folks like like the the kids that came uh, with their parents with a, that are part of DACA program. And, yes, uh, those kids uh, uh, they have fully. Uh, live their lives here for all these many years they're already uh, professionals and uh, but they find themselves in 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 uh, in the immigration process of of or, or the, the cracks of immigration uh, uh, administration and uh, they were not up but they pay their taxes and and that's one thing that I, is not fair and uh, sometimes uh, is not well said in the uh, in the uh, media uh, or in the news and and that you know they don't give rights to the immigrants but by the uh, they really ask them to pay their taxes so they they pay their taxes and uh, so they so for one things you know they they're they're welcome but for other things you know oh we don't yeah we reject you so that's that's unfair you know that's part of a human being yeah, yeah. well there's some uh, there are some scholars of immigration who have implied that the laws as they stand were created by people who wanted illegal immigration mm -hmm. and wanted the undocumented to come over because they would be paid lower wages they would be able to fill the right. jobs that mm -hmm. sam has alluded to and uh it would help enrich those who were in our society and so it's not quite as complicated as simple as legal or illegal right. number one of course human lives are involved and children are involved and families are involved uh, th so that's the basic moral core and the integrity that we have but it's also way beyond that in terms of complication about our society and the kind of setting we have created uh, for people coming into our country Right. And the immigration things are so, so complicated. Mm -hmm. Just legally getting people to come over hmm. and family reunification applications right. can take Long. 15 years or more uh, yes. to process in the current system. That's not even dealing with the undocumented right. and all of that. So it is a very complex issue. So before we finish our discussion, are there any last comments that either of you might have about any well, of this? Well, the one, the one other thing I would add to the sure. conversation we've just been having is, you know, if you look at the roots of why onto this country, a lot of it has to do with our interference in the elections and the governments of other countries. I mean, why are there hmm. why are there refugees from Honduras here now, El Salvador, Guatemala? Um, why are we sending back mm -hmm. Vietnamese folks who have been here for decades um, who were displaced as a result of the war in Vietnam? So there's, you know, a much bigger historical there's context all of this. Yeah. Well, I want to thank both of you for joining with me today and at least opening a discussion, a public discussion, hopefully on some of these issues. We hope that there will uh, be more coming up. Uh, 
Our next program will be on Thursday, April 26th. And my guest that day will be Father Michael Culligan from St. James Catholic Church, followed by Kenneth Kahn, who has written a history of the Jewish community of Petaluma. And it was, will be up doing an update on it. That's in our segment on April 26th. You're listening to Talking with Rabbi T. A-LP 103.3 FM. Thank you. Thank you.